everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is the first episode of our new series, the A&E War Report. Of course, first episode on the Russo-Ukrainian War. This podcast, along with all other A&E podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions, LLC. This podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Duels, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. Use code A&E2021 for a discount added to your cart on the Mission Essential website. Also check out the Freelancers, a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyzeeducate or buy us a coffee at co-fi.com analyzeeducate. That is spelled ko-fi.com. And lastly, a huge thank you to Kyle Larson again for all his help these past two weeks. Kyle writes for us on occasion, and he just put up a new article last night on our blog. You can find that at emmygearco.com slash blogs slash news. And with that being said, we'll hop into this first episode. And so, like I said, this is about the Russo-Ukrainian war, which we all know is going on right now. It's in many of the headlines, and it's really the big piece of news that's been going on for the past two plus weeks. And please keep in mind that from time to time, I will use the term invasion to describe this conflict. Um, I don't use that term to um, really diminish what's happening right now because it is very clearly a war. The reason I will use the term invasion from time to time, is many observers of this conflict, myself included, consider the Russo-Ukrainian war as starting eight years ago with the annexation of Crimea and the subsequent occupation of parts of eastern Ukraine by Russian-backed separatists. So this invasion that we've seen these past two weeks is part of that same war that started eight years ago in my mind. The invasion began on the morning of February 24th around 0500 local time. Russian President Vladimir Putin declared a, quote, special military operation in Ukraine in order to liberate the Russian speakers of Ukraine from genocide and denazify the country. Those are Putin's words, not mine, so keep that in mind. Also keep in mind, Vladimir Zelensky, the democratically elected president of Ukraine, is Jewish, and he's also a native Russian speaker himself. So, yeah, keep that in the back of your head. The invasion began as Putin was addressing the Russian people, declaring the special operation. It also began in the middle of an emergency UN Security Council meeting as the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN was speaking directly to the Russian ambassador to the UN, who currently holds the chairmanship of the Security Council. little ironic. The first action of the invasion, which happened as Putin began his address, was Russian forces attacking into Ukraine from the Crimean border. A live feed camera at a border guard post captured Ukrainian border troops fleeing the area before what appeared to be Russian soldiers crossing the border, and then the camera cut off from there. The opening strikes were rocket, ballistic missile, and bomber strikes targeting military infrastructure in and near multiple population centers, including the capital, Kiev, Mariupol, in Donetsk Oblast, Luhansk Oblast, Sumy, Kharkiv, and Odessa, but not limited to those places, of course. 
As day broke on the morning of the 24th, Russian VDV paratroopers conducted an air assault into Antonov International Airport in Hostomel, which serves as the international airport for the capital, Kiev. The paratroopers' attack was initially successful. However, a successful counterattack later that day by the Ukrainian National Guard left many VDV troops dead, some captured, and the rest fleeing into the woods outside the airport. Two of the troops that were captured claimed that they were not informed of the invasion until just before they dropped into Antonov Airport. They were under the impression that they were still conducting training over Crimea until it was almost time for them to drop, according to them at least. If this is true, this is a huge misstep by Russian leaders. The failure to adequately brief the forces in your command can easily lead to disaster, as we may have seen here at Hostomel Airport. Days later, a second assault by the VDV led to the airport's recapture by Russian forces, and it still remains in their hands as of today. The main axis of advance came from the Belarusian border. Those troops are the ones that took Chernobyl, and they're also the first ones that reached the outskirts of Kiev. Live camera footage on CNN captured an entire Russian column of tanks crossing the border in one of the first waves of the invasion. Also on the 24th, the first day, Russian troops in the east pushed their way through the border and made it to the outskirts of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city. Russian troops established hasty positions and checkpoints around the city, but fierce counter-assaults by the Ukrainians pushed Russian troops back towards the east. After that, Russia's made numerous attempts to enter the city, but any forces that made it through the city limits were either destroyed or forced to retreat. As of right now, Kharkiv is isolated to the north and the east, but the line is holding well since the start of the invasion. Russian forces continued to strike the city with different munitions, including cluster bombs, which unfortunately have led to many civilian deaths. The settlement of Shishistina was captured by forces of the Luhansk People's Republic, a Russian-backed separatist group, after exchanging hands a couple of times with Ukrainian forces. On the 25th of February, Russian forces shelled Kubakino Airport in Mikhailov Oblast. That base is home to the 299th Tactical Aviation Brigade, which lies, excuse me, which flies Su-25 attack planes. Also on that same day, Ukrainian troops launched a ballistic missile strike in Milorovo Airfield in Rostov Oblast. To date, this is one of the only Ukrainian strikes on Russian soil. At least one Su-30 fighter jet was destroyed in that attack. Russian forces captured Zimini Island, aka Snake Island, off the coast of Ukraine. This island was the subject of many headlines due to the 13 border guards telling a Russian warship, quote, go fuck yourself, after the warship demanded that the border guards surrender. Initial reporting stated that all 13 guards were then killed by the Russian Navy, but later it came out that they're all alive. After being rescued from the island by a civilian vessel, that vessel was then boarded and all passengers and crew aboard were taken prisoner by the Russian Navy, including those 13 border guards. On February 26th, the Battle of Vasokiv took place. Ukrainian troops and air power were able to fend off a Russian airborne assault by the VDV and kept the airfield out of Russian hands. Ukrainian Su-27 fighters reportedly shot down two Russian IL-76 transport planes. Now that was claimed by the Ukrainian government. 
However, we haven't seen any proof of this yet, and these are very large airplanes, so take it with a grain of salt. We probably would have seen something by now. But if this is true, that is um, really devastating for the VDV. Again, these planes are massive, and each of them can carry roughly an entire company of paratroopers. That's uh, about 150 guys each plane, right? On the 27th, the coastal city of Berdyansk was captured by Russian Marines after a Russian amphibious assault in the Sea of Azov. The city is roughly 65 kilometers or 40 miles from Mariupol. On March 2nd, and keep in mind, this war is moving very quickly, and I only have so much time in my day to cover it between school, work, and this. It's just hard to capture everything. So there's definitely going to be gaps in this and I'm definitely missing a lot. I'm just trying to give you guys um, everything I could in a reasonable amount of time to get this podcast out, right? Two weeks into the war, have to get something out. So I'm just giving you guys everything I can at this point. But keep in mind, there will be gaps and I cannot get everything. On March 2nd, Russian forces destroyed a television tower that provided service to the capital, Kiev. In the attack, 13 civilians were killed, including the journalist Yevgeny Serkum with the Ukrainian media company Live. The Baba Yar Holocaust Memorial was also damaged in that attack as well. That site memorializes a two-day massacre by Nazi forces in 1941 that left over 33,000 Ukrainian Jews dead. On March 4th, in the span of 26 hours from early on the 4th to March 5th, Russian aviation lost at least nine aircraft to Ukrainian anti-air systems. Aircraft destroyed were two Mi-24 slash Mi-35 attack helicopters, two Su-25 attack aircraft, two Su-34 fighter bombers, one Mi-8 transport helicopter, one Su-30SM fighter jet, and one Orlan 10 UAV unmanned aerial vehicle. This is undoubtedly the worst day for Russian military aviation in decades. And keep in mind, these are all aircraft that we can visually confirm. Losses that day may have been higher. We really have no way of knowing, but they lost at least nine aircraft that we 100% know of. So pretty bad day for them. One pilot of the Su-30SM survived and was taken prisoner. The other was killed, and his cause of death is unknown at this time. A pilot of one of the Su-34 survived and was captured. He was determined to be a veteran of the Russian campaign in Syria based on a photograph he took with President Putin and Syrian President Bashar al-Assad in Syria, along with other pilots. A pilot of the Su-34, I'm sorry, another Su-34 was killed, but the cause of death is unknown as he did eject but his body was found some ways away from the aircraft. On March 5th, head of the Donetsk People's Republic, Denis Bushilin, confirmed the death of DPR Guards Colonel Vladimir Zhuga in Volnakava, Donetsk Oblast. Zhuga, aka Voika, as he's known among his troops, was the commanding officer of the Sparta Separate Reconnaissance Battalion. According to Bushilin, Zhuga was mortally wounded by Ukrainian troops while the Sparta battalion was, quote, providing a cover for evacuation of civilians in the town. Those are his words, not mine. Think of that way, you will. Bushilin said he will award Zhuga with the title Hero of the Donetsk People's Republic. 
Zolga took command of the battalion in 2016 after its then-commander, Arsen Pavlov, was killed by an improvised explosive device inside his apartment building. Pavlov himself admitted to executing 15 Ukrainian prisoners of war in 2015 during a telephone interview with the Kiev Post. The Sparta Battalion was created in Donetsk at the beginning of the war in 2014. They fought in crucial battles early on, such as the Battle of Ilyosk and the Second Battle of Donetsk Airport. They are accused of holding neo-Nazi ideologies and committing multiple war crimes, as I just spoke about, including at Ivolyotsk. Martial law has been declared in Ukraine. Well over 2.5 million Ukrainians have fled the country's refugees to neighboring countries such as Poland or Romania. Men aged six, sorry, men aged 18 to 60 have been banned from leaving the country as they anticipate being mobilized into Ukrainian security forces. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have either volunteered or been conscripted into service. This includes politicians and celebrities. Boxing champion brothers Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko have joined Kiev's territorial defense component. Vitaly is also the current mayor of the capital city. Former President Petro Poroshenko has also joined the same component, is, is apparently the head of an entire battalion. Russia has captured the nuclear power plants in Chernobyl, like I talked about earlier, and Zaporizhia, the latter of which is the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. Fighting in Zaporizhia led to a large fire near an inactive nuclear reactor. That fire has since been extinguished, however. Russian forces have been facing numerous issues that we've seen since the start of the invasion, including but not limited to logistical issues such as running out of fuel, soldiers running out of food, and being forced to loot Ukrainian shops. We've seen plenty of poor infantry tactics, both small and large unit, um, poor immediate actions to contact and ambushes by Ukrainian troops, the failure to gain air supremacy and possibly even failure to gain your superiority, there is a difference between those two, and the questionable accuracy of guided munitions such as ballistic and cruise missiles. For example, we saw a ballistic missile strike on the first night of the invasion when the special military action was announced. Um, those cruise missiles, I'm sorry, ballistic missiles launched towards a Ukrainian airfield trying to take out their air force, um, and each one of the missiles that landed inside the airport missed the runway, so they were completely pointless. Um, so those are just some of the issues that we're seeing with Russian forces. But again, we're seeing plenty of issues, and that's just a few of them that I can name right now off the top of my head. But with that being said, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. Now, the Pentagon believes that Russia has committed nearly 100% of the forces it had staged on the Ukrainian border prior to the invasion. If this is true, this means that 70 to 75% of Russia's main maneuver units, battalion tactical groups, are currently deployed in Ukraine alone. This doesn't even take into account Roskvardia, which is the Russian National Guard. Multiple units of Roskvardia have been deployed to Ukraine. Also, we have division and army level assets that have been deployed and other assets as well. 
This also doesn't include any forces that are already deployed to other countries, such as Syria or the peacekeeping mission in Armenia and Azerbaijan. Also, we know that the VDV airborne forces and the Razvachiki Russian scouts, their casualties and material losses have been fairly high. And that's an issue considering that these are the types of forces that typically deploy to Syria or in other contingency matters like we saw in Kazakhstan, I believe is last month. Russia's military is spread thin right now, not just abroad, but at home as well. And that is uh, definitely something they won't be able to keep up forever, right? They need to bring some forces home at some point. Russia has formally requested that Kazakhstan send troops to bolster Russia's invasion force in Ukraine. It also requested that Kazakhstan recognize Donetsk and Luhansk as independent sovereign nations, just as Russia has. Both requests were denied by Kazakhstan. As of right now, Russian forces have been attempting to encircle Kiev, focusing particularly in the east and the northeast as of right now, and they've been facing much resistance. We've seen multiple convoys and reconnaissance, par reconnaissance parties excuse me, decimated specifically in the area of Bravari, east of the city. Kherson is the only major city that, that has been captured by Russian forces so far. Those troops that took the city are currently trying to get a foothold in Mikhailov, but are facing heavy resistance there as well. Mariupol and Donetsk Oblast has been completely surrounded for days now, but Russian troops still have not made it into the city. Sumy and Kharkiv in the northeast are still holding the front line and keeping Russians out of the city limits. And in Cherniv in the north, troops in that city have held back multiple Russian advances forcing some units to bypass the city altogether in order to reach eastern Kiev. Russia has had at least three major generals either confirmed or reported to have been killed in combat. Major General Andrei Sufiotsky was killed in combat near Mariupol. He was a veteran of multiple wars, including the Russo-Georgian War in 2008, the Syrian Civil War, and the annexation of Crimea. His death was confirmed by President Vladimir Putin. He commanded the 7th Guards Mountain Air Assault Division of the VDV, and he was also the deputy commander of the 41st Combined Arms Army. Major General Vitaly Grimasiov was reportedly killed near Kharkiv. He was the chief of staff for the 41st Combined Arms Army. He is a veteran of the Second Chechen War, the Syrian Civil War, and the annexation of Crimea. And lastly, Major General Andrei Koznikov was reportedly killed as well. He commanded the 29th Combined Arms Armory. Not much is known about his service other than the fact that he has served in the Russian ground forces since 1998 and took command of the 29th Army back in December. U.S. forces, excuse me, U.S. officials did confirm that three Russian generals have been killed in combat in the past two weeks, but no names have been provided at this time. Moving into personnel losses these are very hard to authenticate right there's a lot of sources claiming a lot of different losses russia is going to downplay their losses ukraine is going to downplay their losses the us is given uh rough estimates um you know within multiple thousands apart um so it's just hard to authenticate but Russia 
has acknowledged at least 498 of its forces have been killed in Ukraine. That acknowledgement did come some days ago, so that number has to be higher whether that assessment was even accurate or not when it was given. Um, The U.S. claims that Russia has lost anywhere from 3,500 to 6,000 troops in Ukraine so far. Those are rough estimates. Um, Russia has, sorry, Ukraine has claimed that they've killed over 11,000 Russian troops in Ukraine since the invasion so far. That's uh, highly unlikely. Those are extraordinarily high numbers, even though we have seen the Russians been taking very heavy losses. Those are too heavy. Um, Russia has claimed that they have killed over 3,000 Ukrainian troops. Um, The U.S. says that Ukrainian casualties are anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 right now. Um, Again, those are rough estimates and they could even be higher. We just really don't know. Sorry, again, it's very hard to confirm those personnel losses. Moving on to equipment losses, and these are losses that we can visually confirm. And when I say losses, I mean equipment that has been destroyed, abandoned, or captured. Keep in mind, these are only numbers that we could visually confirm. We could visually differentiate from each other. Um, so equipment losses are on both sides are certainly higher than this, probably a lot higher than these losses, but these are just things that we could confirm with absolute certainty with visual aids, right? Russia has lost 190 tanks. Russia has lost enough tanks to fill two entire Russian tank regiments with a few tanks left over. Those are massive numbers. Armored fighting vehicles, they have lost 113. Infantry fighting vehicles, they have lost 165. Armored personnel carriers, they have lost 63. Mine-resistant armor-protected vehicles, MRAPs, they've lost seven. Infantry mobility vehicles, that would be like the equivalent of our Humvee or Hummer, the civilian equivalent, lost 37. Communication stations, they've lost eight. Artillery systems, 53. Anti-aircraft guns, nine. Multiple launch rocket systems, 19. Surface air missile systems, SAM systems, 28. Radar and jamming systems, 2. Fixed wing aircraft or planes, they have lost 12, 11 of which were combat aircraft. Helicopters, they have lost 12. Logistics trains, they have lost 2. Fuel trains that were taken out by a Ukrainian drone, well beyond the front line. Well, uh, Well, rear of the front line, I should say. Other types of trucks, they have lost 337. Ukraine has already been making use of the equipment it has captured, including anti-aircraft guns and tanks. Um, And from what we've seen, captures of Russian equipment have been outpacing Ukrainian losses from what we could see. Again, this is only stuff that we could visually confirm, so um, that, that may not be the case on the ground but either way ukraine has captured a lot of russian equipment and it's equipment that either they've had in their inventory too so they're completely familiar with it or it's equipment similar to what they have so they're 
somewhat familiar with it and they're already making use of it so this is going to be an issue for russia it already has been and it will continue to be so for ukrainian equipment losses we have 54 tanks 42 armored fighting vehicles 37 infantry fighting vehicles 19 armored personnel carriers 17 infantry mobility vehicles 23 artillery systems multiple launch rocket systems two anti-aircraft guns one surface-to-air missile systems, SAM systems, nine, radar and jamming systems, three, fixed-wing aircraft, nine of which seven were combat aircraft. And if you're wondering, the Antonov AN-225, the largest airplane in the world and the only one of its kind, was sadly destroyed in Hostile Airport. They lost one helicopter, two naval ships, and other types of trucks, they have lost 76. That includes things like um, supply trucks, troop transport trucks, that kind of stuff. They all fall under that umbrella. And now we're going to close it off with the, the order of battle here. These are all units that we can confirm have been on the ground. Um, we have locations for some of them. Some of them we don't. We just know that they've been confirmed to be part of this invasion. Uh, by no means is this an exhaustive list of units in Ukraine on both sides, right? There are plenty that I haven't seen personally or just haven't even been identified, right? So this isn't exhaustive at all. But for the VDV, the Russian Airborne Forces, we have the 31st Guards Air Assault Brigade. They were in Hostomol in the 1st Air Assault. The 11th Guards Air Assault Brigade, they were also at Hostomol. And they've been in other places as well, if Ukraine's claims are correct. They claim that the brigade's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Denis Glebolov, was killed, but this hasn't been independently confirmed, so take that with a grain of salt. For Russia's ground forces, or their army, as they're well known, the 2nd Guards Motor Rifle Division in Chernyiv Oblast, the 4th Guards Tank Division, and of that division, we have the 423rd Motorized Rifle Regiment. They had at least two soldiers captured pretty early on in the war, but there very well may have been more than that. We also have the 47th Guards Tank Division. And of that division, we have the 2nd Battalion of the 26th Tank Regiment in Sumy Oblast. And if the 2nd Battalion is there, we can reasonably assume that the rest of the 26th Regiment is there as well. For the Russian Navy, we have the 61st Naval Infantry Brigade, Russian Marines. Ukraine claims that the brigade's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Dmitry Zakharov, was killed. But again, this hasn't been independently confirmed either, so take it with a grain of salt. For Rosvardia, the Russian National Guard, we have OMON units from Ingoshetia. We have the Kadirov, Kadirovites. Sorry, it's hard to pronounce. And that is uh, basically any armed force that serves under the command of Ranzan Kardirov. He is the head of Chechnya for whatever reason. He heads the only region that could have its own separate armed forces that still fall under Russian command. But he has some command of them as well. It's kind of like the National Guard. It's interesting. They do fall under the Russian National Guard, and of his armed forces, if you will, we have the 
41st Motorized Rifle Regiment. They were in Hostimal as well, and they took some pretty heavy casualties that we could tell. And we have at least one OMON unit from Chechnya as well. We have the Donetsk People's Republic, of course, the Sparta Separate Reconnaissance Battalion that we spoke about earlier. Their commanding officer was recently killed. And then we have the Luhansk People's Republic. And lastly, we have the Wagner Group, which is an infamous Russian mercenary group that is usually contracted out by the Russian government to carry operations that the government um, doesn't want to be directly tied to, but they have an interest in. Their involvement right now is uh, its not 100% confirmed, but we can reasonably believe from various reports and eyewitness accounts that Wagner is on the ground. On to Ukraine's units, we have the Air Force, the 299th Tactical Aviation Brigade in Mykolaiv. We have the 40th Tactical Aviation Brigade reportedly in Vasilykiv. For the ground forces, otherwise known as their army, we have the 45th Spetsnaz Brigade. They were in the first battle at Hostable as well. We have the 93rd Mechanized Brigade. They captured those two guys from the 423rd Motorized Rifle Regiment, Russia's army. They were captured by the 93rd Mechanized. We also have the 53rd Mechanized Brigade, and of that brigade, we have the 24th Separate Assault Battalion, otherwise known as the a Dar Battalion in Donetsk Oblast. For the Ukrainian National Guard, we have the 4th Rapid Reaction Brigade in Hostomol during that first battle. For the Territorial Defense Forces, we have the Kiev Brigade and the Kherson Brigade, but um, it can be assumed that each major city has its own brigade. These guys are spread out all over the country for territorial defense, right? Pretty self-explanatory. We have the Ukrainian border forces, like the guys we saw at Snake Island. For the National Police, we have the Rapid Operational Response Unit, or otherwise known as CORD for the Ukrainian acronym. They have been seen in Kiev and Mykolaiv. We have the Security Services of Ukraine, otherwise known as the SBU. We have the SBU Alpha Group in Kiev. They are the successor to the Soviet KGB's Alpha Group, which is like a... Um, specialized force like a sort of spetsnaz unit um right that's a successor and that is all i got for you guys right now so i want to thank you all for supporting this podcast it means a lot to us you can find this on your favorite podcast apps that include spotify google Podcasts, apple podcast anchor breaker overcast radio public pocket cast you could find us on twitter and instagram at analyze educate all one word Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze and educate. And that is all I have for you guys. And we will see you around with the next episode.